Hello ladies and gentlemen, what is good? Welcome into another edition of the Just for Kicks podcast. It is edition number trois, as they say in France, or three as we say here in English. Hoping you're all having a wonderful day. I know I am John Graham, producer extraordinaire, technician, engineer extraordinaire. How are you today? I am doing good, my friend. How are you? Doing wonderful. The sun is kind of shining. It was shining a lot more earlier. A little bit of a little bit of a thin layer of clouds as we record this in South Fort Wayne. But nevertheless, as long as it stays dry and maybe maybe cools a few degrees, that'd be rather nice. But uh, Mother Nature doesn't exactly necessarily agree with the people of Indiana too well. That is right. Uh, and also got to say, happy Labor Day weekend, Matthew. Uh, what are your plans? My plans, obviously, got to take care of a couple of things on the business end and do a little bit of work to pay bills for the adult stuff. But other than that, because, you know, us adults, we have to pay things, apparently. But after that, I'm going to be watching sports all weekend. And I am not going to apologize for it. I am going to sit at home while Premier League in the morning. We'll have college football throughout the day. And for those in Indiana that would dearly like to forget what happened in college football a night ago, especially myself who had to sit through a rather brutal three hours of watching my, my alma mater against Tennessee last night. We we can just forget all about it, and we can move on and, and watch something new. And then we get Monday off. I'm off Monday. I, I am going to sit at home, and I, I really don't even know what's going on Monday. There's no NFL on yet. I'd imagine there'll be a Premier League game mid-afternoon, and then there's somebody plays. I think it's like LSU or something plays in college football. But that's not about me. John, John what, what are you doing this weekend? Because I think it's supposed to be nice. Yes, yes. It's going to be nice, beautiful, uh, perfect uh, water park. You know, water slides, weather, um, hopefully good weather for Cedar Point because I am going over the weekend. I have two different randomly scared stories about Cedar Point. One happened in the water park. One happened at the park itself. Our first experience uh, was I was seventh or eighth grade. My brother and I went with my with my aunt and my uncle. And the Millennium Force ride, which is like one of the one of the bigger ones there, I think it was like the second or third ride we went on. And my brother said, "Absolutely not, not going that ride." And I thought, "Well, I mean, this this one looks pretty easy. This one looks pretty doable." And then we get in the ride, or we get in the line. We've been there for like a half hour or so, and we check with my brother. And he's like, "Yep, definitely not doing." It. I'm like, "This is it. This is all it is right here." And my uncle goes, "Turn around," and I'm like. Oh, wait a second. And boy, that was something. So there was that. And then I went a few years ago with my dad and we went to the water park. And I mean, I was, I must have been 21, 22 or at the time, right? Or, you know, in my 20s, right? At the water park, you get all the kids that are, you know, 10, 11 years old running up there down the sides. You think that's got to be nothing then, right? You you walk up the stairs up to the top of the, of the water slides, and it's like, oh my gosh, there's another staircase. This thing is still going. I I had so many second thoughts, but boy, was it a fun experience. And they do roller coasters right there in, in Ohio. And you're also literally maybe two miles from Canada. So there are some rides I know where if you look off in the distance and it's clear, you can see the you know, good old Canadia up there, uh, our Northern buddies up there. So definitely enjoy that experience. I will. I will. Uh, favorite, uh, Cedar point ride. I have to say the Raptor is a very underrated ride. It's very good for those that like, don't love the huge roller coasters, but millennium force. I could just never, ever forget it. I don't think we went on it the last time because the the only thing about when you go to really any amusement park is that first ride you go on, you have to be really, really selective because if you get there right when it opens, your first ride, no matter what it is, it's not going to have much of a line. The second ride will have a line. And then the third line, depending on where you go, 
is probably going to be that that hour and a half line. So we didn't go on like any of the super big ones, but that one uh, I liked the Gemini. But the only thing about that, only thing about like a lot of the older roller coasters is there's a mental thing, right? When you're clink 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 all the way up the ride, and you are just going, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, and you have a good tight vice like grip on the handlebars. That is me. I, full disclosure, ladies and gentlemen, I am the white knuckle grip guy. And boy, am I relieved when we get off the ride. But those, I'd say, were some favorites of mine. Yeah, I I, uh, I agree with you that the Raptor is definitely underrated. Um, that's probably why oftentimes, you know, that ride is um, less than an hour wait. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes even uh, uh, less than 30 minutes, you know, which is <laughs> which is nice. Uh uh, probably won't happen over the weekend because with it being Labor Day uh, weekend. But you know, I don't know. I don't know. This, this would be my first time going during a, during a uh, three day weekend. So hopefully, uh, people pick 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 uh, their uh, their days better. John Graham wants he has to go on Monday, ladies and gentlemen. He said no no reason, just go Monday. It is. I mean, yes. if you want to see the star of the show. You're going to have to probably go earlier in the weekend, but for his sake, we won't say what day. Just for that. You can see him in Fort Wayne as well. So and was, autographs and everything. So that's that is certainly going to be a fun weekend. And hopefully, again, rain holds off. It should be pretty cool because it's right by the lake. So right by one of our great lakes that we share with our, again, our buddies uh, who have the maple leaf on their flag who, like the United States, are going back to the FIFA World Cup, Canada qualifying for the very first time in 36 years. And we'll talk about this a little more as it gets closer. If you want a dark horse to perhaps put your money on, that's who I think it is. People are not giving them enough credit for how that is a good, good team. We'll talk a little bit more about that because November is getting close. We're in September, ladies and gentlemen. We are in September. Next month is the last full month before it gets going. And later this month, we'll probably talk about next week on the show, later this month, the United States men's national team returns to action for their final two matches against Japan and Saudi Arabia prior to the start of play of this year's World Cup. The U.S. women's national team, they have a match coming up this weekend against Nigeria as they're back in action. We'll we'll get to all that. We'll talk about the national teams here more as the month goes on. But that is a little bit of what we're looking at. Let's look at today, right? Today, let's live in the moment, ladies and gentlemen. Let's live in the here and the now. We'll talk a little bit about the impact. The players who are playing right now in their college season the fall that have played for Fort Wayne FC over the summer, we'll talk a little bit about how that situation works and how I think that situation helps them big picture. We'll talk a little bit more about college soccer with the head coach of the Purdue, or the Purdue Fort Wayne women's soccer team. That would be Jason Burhey. We'll stop by here shortly. And then after that, we will, uh, sometimes my own handwriting is a little bit difficult to read. I've been told that by others as well, but we'll break down, uh, several other key things here. We'll break down some of the, uh, some of the different clubs around the Midwest, uh, as we talk about, how the last couple weeks they have had disappointing weeks. Well, guess what? They didn't this week. We'll talk a little bit about that. So any fans of the Fire, the Red Stars, Indy 11, stick around for just a few minutes here. We'll talk uh, a little bit more about that later in the program. And also, John, I will give you time to think about this, right? A little bit of word association. I don't want an answer yet. But in the final segment of the show, what do the movie Deadpool, the city of Philadelphia, the Channel FX, and the country of Wales have together. We'll connect those dots here a little bit later in the show because it's a fun one that has been talked about quite a bit that I just had to sneak in, just couldn't couldn't wait any longer for that. That'll be uh, shortly here in the program, actually to close out the show. But first, we start with our local club, Fort Wayne FC, who, again, wrapped up their season a few weeks ago, just did miss out on the USL League 2 playoffs, and now they look ahead to the future. But future is what all the players have to look forward to as well because you have a young young group, as pretty much everybody does at this level, who would like to make a career. They're hopeful. They'd like to make a career in professional soccer. And college players would as well. But while a lot of college soccer players 
will take that little bit of time off over the summer and then wait until training camp, maybe go back home, work with their high school coach or a private coach, or maybe just take some time off. There are some who want to keep playing through the summer. Some who are from area colleges who turned out for Fort Wayne FC again this year. And now, to a lot of people, they may be questioning, okay, how does that help you? Well, ultimately, a big thing for the club is player development, right? And that's why I think this is a positive, that they can have players who can play collegiately, play a little bit of uh, of USL League 2 soccer, and then go back to play college in the fall. Here's what I like about it, right? What I like is it's about experience. I mean, John, we're young. You're only young once. Be experienced. Be adventurous. Go live life. Why not? I mean, think how many college kids do summer internships, right? You know, when you're, when you're through, usually it's about two years of school. And then sometime in the spring semester, you start reaching out to people. A lot of times it's required for a degree. You start reaching out to people and say, hey, can I either come do a job shadowing or a full-on internship? And then when, if and when you get hired on for that internship, you leave usually right after the spring semester ends, sometimes maybe even before it, once May comes around, and then you go until August or late July. And your internship, if you've done everything you need to do, is successfully completed. Why do, why do they want that? Why do they want people to have an internship? Because there are some things that you just can't be taught in college. Doing, doing college is definitely an amazing thing and anybody that wants to go should absolutely absolutely try it and you should always follow your dreams always that's like that's a non-negotiable but there are things that you can learn more in the field in your career field and that's why they have internships that's why a lot of colleges require them for you to fulfill your degree requirements so this is what that is if you want to go pro, go to the next level, why not test yourself? If it's allowed within NCAA and NAIA bylaws and and you're allowed to play, as some are, go for it. Give it a shot. Give it a shot and then you can test yourself against pro players with a pro schedule, meeting pro requirements. Because that's going to help players in the long run. It sees where it shows them where they stack up, and now all of a sudden they take that experience from over the summer back with them. And unlike an internship for for the average student, yes, you continue to carry that experience forward, but that'll help you more so when you get into the professional world. Maybe not so much in the fall semester. This is different. That fall semester, that fall season for college soccer, they're going to have that experience, and that's going to help them. They may have it a little bit tougher against pro opposition, but when you can take that experience with you going forward, that's massive for young players. I feel like they should always have that opportunity. And I'd really like to see if maybe all schools could have that opportunity or always give players that option. I think it would be beneficial, mutually beneficial for both colleges and especially lower level pro teams, teams that are a little bit further down that pro soccer pyramid be it in the United States or Canada, most likely be one of those two because college soccer is definitely not quite what it is here as it is in other countries. I mean, it's, it's, it's a better setup here than perhaps other countries. And that's no disrespect to them whatsoever because we're chasing them, obviously, as it comes to, as it comes to soccer. So I think there's an, a pretty clear, a pretty, a pretty apparent advantage here. There is, of course, one drawback, right? It's it's a lot like when we get to the end of the NFL season, the NFL regular season, and with the new playoff format, whoever is going to be the one seed has already wrapped it up going in that last game. So you know you're going to be playing at home all the way throughout as far as you go. You know you're going to get a first round bye. But now the question is, in a game that is at that point meaningless to you, do you play your starters? Most people would say absolutely not because you don't want to risk getting them hurt. But then the the worry is, two weeks off, does rust develop? I mean, sometimes that does happen. 
So these players are not going to come into camp rusty. But of course, they have played games. Others have been taking time off, getting right. And that's tough to overcome. So there are pros and cons. There are plenty of pros and cons here. But I just think that this is a very, very good thing that these colleges, these pro teams should explore further. Joining us now here on the Just for Kicks podcast is Coach Jason Burr. He is the head coach of the Purdue-Fort Wayne women's soccer team. The Mastodons have gotten their season underway and have done so in a pretty stellar fashion as they're coming off a 1-0 to victory last night over the Ball State Cardinals. So, Coach, how are you doing today? I imagine pretty good after that win the other night. Yeah, we're we're feeling pretty good today. It was uh, it was a good night last night, and pretty great way to start a, a weekend for our program and our our team and our players. And uh, yeah, just now kind of transitioning and, and getting ready to hopefully complete a great weekend on the road down at Southern Illinois on Sunday. But yeah, we're we're taking the the game in last night and enjoying that for a day, and then like I said, back to work and, and get ready for the next one on Sunday. Yes, indeed. You mentioned schedule a little bit. We'll talk a little bit about that. You guys on the road before a nice home stretch uh, coming up here. But, Coach, thoughts on the start to the season? I know you guys uh, have had, a, like we said, the win against Ball State. But overall, how you feel about the first week or so? It, uh, Yeah, it, it's been really good for us uh, over this first couple of weeks. When we started preseason uh, back in August 1st, so about a month ago, um, we were really excited because we've got a really heavy – uh, upperclassmen returning group this season. It's the first time we've had this many returning players that have had such a big impact on our program from one year to the next. And so we were pretty, pretty excited about how things were going to go for the season. Uh, that first weekend that we played uh, when we were at home against Chicago State and then on the road against Eastern Illinois and, and split that weekend, uh, a little disappointing for us because felt like we had done really, really well at the game at Eastern Illinois and gave up about a five-minute stretch where, where Eastern was able to score a couple of goals on us, and we ended up not getting that result on the road, but uh, have really fought back. And again, I think having that upperclassman leadership all throughout our, our team has really helped us, helped us bounce back from that loss against Eastern Illinois and, and get some really good results here the last three games. So, uh, things have, have been going pretty well, and we're getting contributions from a lot of different players, which is also very exciting for us right now. So from that perspective, the fact that we're not relying on just one or two players has been has been pretty great for us as well. Yeah, yeah and you, know, you talked a little bit about the non-conference slate so far. As a coach, how is it different preparing for non-conference opponents versus conference opponents? Um, well, it... For us, it's a little bit different just in the fact that you you have those games where they all count, but when you've got that non-conference game, um, none of those those results are going to really matter in terms of our placement for trying to earn uh, a berth into our conference tournament. So it's really for us all about getting that preparation uh, for the games that truly at the end of the season really matter, which are, are the conference and the league games. But the other part of it is I think, for a lot of teams, the non-conference games are are not necessarily huge built-in rivalries. For but for us, that's really not the case. Um, Chicago State, as an example, was our first team that we've played, and that has become a pretty strong ri- rivalry for us over the last couple of years. We play them every single season. Same thing with Eastern Illinois, and, and the results with Eastern Illinois kind of go back and forth. Uh, we had Toledo, and our assistant coach actually played at Toledo, and so that was just a big natural rivalry because <laughs> because of that situation. But on top of that, we also have five or six, six or seven players that that played club soccer when they were youth players with a lot of the players from Toledo. So again, for us, we've got a lot of natural built-in rivalries with these non-conference opponents as well. So when we're playing Ball State and it's that I-69 rivalry, and luckily the north side of I-69 got the result this time around. Um, from that perspective, these rivalries are pretty big for us, even with the non-conference slate. But again, once we get into to league play and, and it's Horizon League games, really making sure that we're preparing ourselves to finish in the top six because we have to, to do that in order to make a conference tournament. 
uh, we really kind of get up for those games. And it, it's really more of just an internal, natural thing that happens with our players as opposed to it having to be built-in rivalries because of different relationships and things like that. So um, a, a lot of what we're doing right now is really all about preparation for that game on September 18th where we play IUPUI uh, here at Fort Wayne. Well, that's actually where I was going to go next. You kind of foreshadowed into that one. You opened conference play against the Jaguars there, IUPUI. I guess another uh, technically I-69 rivalry, but a little bit further <laughs> yeah. south. Got, got, got to stay in state to start conference play. I mean, that, that you know, that's a good place to start. We're talking about rivalry as well, a little in-state rivalry. How do you think the team is progressing towards conference play, and how do you think where you guys stand right now will stack up against other Horizon League opponents? Yeah, I, I think we're in really good shape right now. I, I go back to, again, what we were just talking about, not relying on one singular player to get the job done for our team. And so you think about Ball State last night as an example. We ended up using, uh, I believe it was 19 to 20 players on our roster last night. Um, we've got a couple that are out injured. So we essentially almost used our entire roster in that game. And from that perspective, it, it's great for us because all of these players are gaining experience against very tough opponents. Ball State is, is a very strong soccer team and give them credit for the work that they do on the field. But, um, but yeah, so our players gaining that experience, it's great because as we start to, to look into conference play, as you said, it, there are going to be some really challenging games, but when we put ourselves up against the Toledo and a ball state and you've got Eastern Illinois who is still undefeated on the season. I think they're three Oh and two at this point, we've got some matchups in the non-conference season that then when we look at our, our conference, our league opponents, um, we're going to kick it off pretty strong. Like you said, with that IPY battle, that's always going to be a tough one. And, and they're a very strong team. Uh, It's really interesting. I think you look at our conference compared to some of the other conferences at the D1 level, and um, we're a league that I don't think there's one way that you can pinpoint sort of explaining or describing the way our league plays, where when you look at some of the MAC schools like a Ball State or Toledo, they're generally quite a bit bigger. They're maybe a little bit more physical. They're a little bit more direct in their play. And that's reflected in the way that a team like IUPUI plays or a team like Milwaukee or Northern Kentucky in our league. So we're getting that experience. Um, but we play a team like Eastern Illinois or Bellarmine who want the ball on the ground. And it's a little bit more about possession-oriented soccer. And we're going to see teams like that with Oakland and Wright State and Detroit in our league. So it's been really good for us to be able to see these different types of styles because within our conference, we're going to see all kinds of different soccer. And and that's really great for us because again, we're the same way. Um, Our our style is one that we kind of tweak it based on where we are on the field, what players we have on the field at any given point, Um, our style can change. And that's something that our flexibility and adaptability are something we're really proud of for our players and, and what we're able to do to do on the field. So from that perspective, I think we're really going to match up well this season. We, we finished sixth in the league last year, and uh, like I said earlier, we, we returned basically our entire roster for the most part, and so I don't think there's any reason that we can't finish in the top six again and get back to the conference tournament, and that's our goal. And, and this year, we, we got there last year, so this year our goal is to win a game and see where we can take it from there. So I don't think we're far off from being in the top four in our league and, and think we have every opportunity to go and compete for a league title this year. Well, you talk about adaptability as it comes to playing style. Is that something where you can adapt based on what the opponent is doing, either obviously you know at halftime or perhaps even just seeing something from the touchline and react to that? Is that something where you can see how they're playing and then immediately change to try to counter that? Yeah, you know, one of the things we talk to our players a lot, we've got our base formation, we've got our style of play that is kind of foundational to our team and our program, but you look at a game like Bellerman as an example, and they had done some things in the first half of that game that were causing us a couple of problems, and at halftime we changed our formation, and we always want to be a team that forces an opponent to adjust to us, but we saw some things as a coaching staff in the first half of that game against Bellarmine and we changed our formation. We changed a couple of the the personnel that were on the field and what their roles and responsibilities were going to be. And 
uh, we end up coming out in that second half and, and really kind of dominating play based off of those changes. And again, it, it's not necessarily what we're doing as coaches that, you know, we're making these major adjustments. It's really about our players and what they're capable of doing. And, and that's why I love this team so much because we can ask a lot of different things of this group and, they are a more than willing to change and adapt to what we're trying to do, but b they've got the the soccer IQ, the the mental ability, and the physical capability of getting out and making those adjustments. And if we need to not press quite as hard and, and quite as high on the field, or if we need to change formation or whatever it might be, having that that experience and upperclassmen um, kind of thoroughness that we have on the team has really allowed us to be able to to make those adjustments and and us really thrive in those environments coach uh, jason burr joins us here on the just for kicks podcast and coach you're entering year nine uh with purdue fort wayne first of all congratulations on that by the way uh but what would you say to coaches who are trying to work their way up the ranks and trying to become you know either collegiate head coach or coach at any level what advice would you give to those younger coaches The biggest thing to me is kind of two or three things. The first one is be a soccer junkie, be a sport junkie, whatever your sport might be. It doesn't have to be soccer, obviously, if you're uh, an aspiring baseball coach or a basketball coach or whatever it might be, um, be a junkie. I I can't tell you not just our games that we're watching on a week-to-week basis and not just our opponent's games, but between myself and all of our assistant coaches here, we almost constantly have some kind of soccer on our screens, whether it's our computer or our TV, we're always watching something. And so especially for those young females out there, we, we need more females coaching different sports, soccer for sure, but different sports. We need to see more females getting involved at the coaching level. And there are a lot of opportunities. So I would say be a junkie, get out and watch games in person, get those games on your, your TV and your computer screen and your, your phone and just watch as much as you can. The second thing is for me, I was never afraid to, I shouldn't say never. It took me a couple of years, I guess. But once I got into it a little bit, I would always just go and ask coaches who I knew had been in the business for a while, just different questions that that they were seeing in the game or changes that they saw occurring within their sport or um, how they got from point A to point B, being a player in the sport and then getting into coaching and their path and kind of what they felt like were the most important things to know. And um, most coaches out there that I've come across and come into contact with are very, very giving um, back to younger coaches that want to become a part of that profession because, again, there, there are a lot of great opportunities and um, we need more and more people that want to stay in whatever sport they're involved with. And then my last thing is I took a pretty different path with my coaching life than a lot of other coaches did to get to where I am today. And so I started out when I was in college as a soccer player myself. I actually started coaching some younger youth club teams, and then I eventually got into coaching high school a little bit. And I took some volunteer opportunities as a college coach and took some opportunities at lower levels. And that's one of the things that I think everyone looks at division one, division two, division three, NAIA, junior college, and they put these ranks on what's the most valuable or what's the best level. And I'll be perfectly honest. I've seen some division two, some division three, some NAIA teams that would beat a lot of division one programs in a lot of different sports. And so I think gaining that experience at whatever level you can find a pathway into the game is really, really vital. I coached at the division three level uh, for two different programs and really, really enjoyed my experience there. And it gained me a lot of um, knowledge of coaching and how to handle players. So again, from that perspective, I think that's the last point is take the opportunities that are in front of you and and don't be too prideful to just wait for what you think you deserve or where you belong take the opportunities that are that are there and and gain that experience and gain that knowledge because it is invaluable as you continue to grow through um through your your career and the only other thing i'll add is it doesn't just have to be coaching 
what we need to, again, especially with younger females, we need officials, we need referees. And I did a lot of refereeing and officiating when I was in college and when I was a young coach. And I think it helped me see the game in a completely different way, both as a player and as a coach. So I strongly encourage people get out there, officiate ref games, and you can make some good money doing it. So get in there and get your hands dirty a little bit because I think it'll give you a different point of view that you may have ever gotten as a player or as a coach. Well, going off of that last thing you mentioned, obviously in the United States, we're very fortunate in the sense that when we look at our U.S. women's national team, most successful national team in the history of women's soccer, and the league is on the rise. But as things continue to go to that next level, what is the significance? I mean, like, what what needs to happen from that standpoint to try to encourage more women to get involved in the sport and stay involved? I think really a lot of it is just going to be, again, going back to the opportunities that we have. So we have a lot of players within our program that are interested in going on and playing at the next level. And not everyone that leaves our program is going to go somewhere and they're going to play professionally and they're going to make a lot of money doing it. But um, I, I do think that that's going to be a really big thing. It, the the soccer community, especially on the women's side, and I guess on both sides, the men's and the women's side, but the women's side, they're starting to create more opportunities. Um, you look just here in Fort Wayne, and I know with Fort Wayne FC on the men's side, they made a huge jump from year one to year two uh, with the opportunities that they're offering a lot of college players, but also some aspiring younger players that have just graduated college to try to get a pathway to playing professionally. And so they're doing a great job on the men's side. And I know I've talked through some of their ownership um, and some of the staff that they have. And I do know on the horizon, they've got an opportunity where they're going to try to start a women's program at that level. And um, it's USL. So it's not necessarily just outright pro like NWSL, which is our, our women's professional league that we have here in the United States. So it's a level below that, but it's going to be more playing opportunities for these players that want to graduate college. And, and maybe some of them get into grad school or they take a different path where they're not getting right into their, their professional career, but it gives them an opportunity to continue playing on a different level beyond just the college game. So I think that is one really big thing that we can look at. I go back to the officiating thing. They are just clamoring for female officials and referees, and we have a lot of really high-level, um, I, I shouldn't say a lot, sorry. We have several very high-level officials in the United States right now, but they want to continue seeing more and more and more. And I think when you look at uh, the Women's World Cup, it was fantastic because almost every single referee and official at the last Women's World Cup was a female. And it's incredible. There are these great opportunities that I don't think we're fully taking advantage of. And, and I know it's something that we talk with our players about um, is different pathways that you can still stay within the game and be able to give back. We've got a lot of players. Abby Klimkowski is one that sticks out in my mind with our team right now that is with our team, but she's actually coached a little bit with some local clubs and she's done a little coaching back at home in Chicago. And so she's starting that process as a college player and it's great to see players at our level and with St. Francis and Indiana Tech and other college programs in the area that are trying to have their players give back to the local soccer community here in Fort Wayne and, and whatever area of the nation that they're from. And then the last part, and this is the one that's a little bit tougher, but there are a lot of opportunities that are popping up specifically over in Europe to continue to stay in the game. Um, that's going to be a bit of a bigger stretch because these kids are now leaving their families and they're leaving their home country to, to explore their opportunities to stay in the game. But there are absolutely some great opportunities overseas that are popping up right now, especially for female soccer players and, and female athletes in general. Yeah, and coming back to Purdue Fort Wayne, though, uh, over the course of your tenure at the Mastodons, how has the program evolved? How has the team and, and maybe the culture around the team changed since you've been there? So it's really interesting. When I first got here, um, the environment with the players was one that um, we had some some groups going in different directions and a lot of really great soccer players on the team. Um, but I don't know that 
everyone on the team understood what the core values of the program really were and um, what direction they fully all wanted the program to to be heading. And that's something that my first few years here, I had an assistant coach, Kelsey Pasalia, that um, was actually with us in, in our MAP Center most recently, which is our academic area. She's now an administrator over at St. Francis. She just got hired as, as their senior women's administrator, which is amazing. Just a little kind of side note. But anyway, uh, we really worked hard, Kelsey and I did, when we first got the job here on building that culture and building the core values. And I think now if you went to any of the 26 players that are on this roster here at Purdue Fort Wayne with our women's soccer program, I think they'd be able to tell you, like, what are our big three core values? What do those mean to our program? And what direction are we trying to head as, as a team and a program? And so we had some some really short-term pain to get some long-term gain out of, as cliche as that sounds, out of um, building the culture within our program. And it's really exciting for us. We see these 26 women together all the time, not just on the soccer field, but when they come out and they support our men's soccer program or women's volleyball or whoever it might be in our athletic department, our team is always together. They're pretty inseparable. And what we tell recruits now is we've got this little circle of family that we've built within our program. And to get into it is pretty tough. Uh, but once you're in that circle, no one else is going to be able to mess with you. That's outside of that circle. And um, it, it's all about care and it's all about love and it's all about competition. We are able to compete at training and we're able to battle physically. And at the end of the day, our players will give each other a high five. They'll give each other a hug and say, you got the better of me today, but watch your back because I'm coming back after you tomorrow because I want to win. And so that's been something that's been really great for our program because I think you're starting to see that reflected in the way that we play on the field. Just looking at last night, we've got players that are sacrificing every part of their body in order to keep the ball out of the back of the net. And you've got so much spirit within the group of cheering each other on and demanding more of one another and just high character type people that are really taking this program to the next level. And again, I, I don't know if it'll be this year. I don't know if it'll, it'll be next year. But I feel like in, in the very near future, we are going to be putting rings on some players' hands because they've won a conference tournament in the Horizon League. And, and that's where we're headed. And what it's allowed us to do, because the culture is so strong right now, is as a coaching staff, we're really able to focus on purely that soccer side and what we need to do from a tactical standpoint in order to keep taking the next step with this team. And, and so from that perspective, not having to – ask each player how their academics are going, not having to ask each player how their their environment within the team and what their relationship is like with other players because we know that's in such a great place and really be able to focus on, on the soccer has been incredible here right now. Well, I love it. And talk, talk about that competition. Hey, iron sharpens iron. But we talk a little <laughs> bit about how, how you guys recruit. One thing that we've seen here, it's really across all sports, Fort Wayne produces talent. Maybe not to the level of you know Indianapolis or Chicago or the the big metropolitan areas, but schools come here and recruit. How do you and your staff try to keep the local talent here in Fort Wayne and and get them to come to Purdue Fort Wayne? Yeah, you know, I I think winning solves a lot of those issues. Realistically, um, we we've always tried to work with the the local Fort Wayne clubs in particular. Um, I will say we've been trying to be a lot more visible with the high school games this season in particular. Um, so we've gone out to quite a few of the local high school games and want to continue doing that because I will say we have probably as a coaching staff, we've probably honestly fallen a little bit short of building the relationships with all of the local people here in Fort Wayne. Um, but we do make it a really big point to, to start working. We've always worked well with the clubs and, and starting to work a little bit better with the local high school coaches uh, because there is, there is a ton of talent. There are a lot of players that go on to, to play division one soccer in other areas. And, and what we've really seen honestly is a lot of the, the players here in the local community have been here for a lot of their lives, if not all of their lives. And, and they may just be seeking a new environment um, to explore during their college years. 
But what I will tell you is some of our top kids that have been in our program over the nine years that I've been here have been players that have explored other options outside of Fort Wayne and ended up coming back to play for us here. So we've got players. Gabby Mann sticks out as a local player that decided to come here right out of club and high school and played for us right away and did some really great things with our team um, pretty early on in my career here. Uh, then we had two players that went outside of the state, went down to Kentucky to play at college um, in Laura Pund and Emily Gunset. And those two came back home and played for us here at Purdue Fort Wayne and had outstanding careers. Then you've got Sam Castaneda, who's our starting goalkeeper right now, who went away her freshman year and ended up coming back to play for us at Purdue Fort Wayne. And she is tearing up the record books right now in our program. So We've got some players that have done really, really well that are local, high-level talent um, that have gone away for a lot of them and and ended up wanting to come back home because at the end of the day, the university is in a fantastic position right now. We keep adding more degree programs. Our enrollment numbers are really starting to, to elevate, and there are a lot of really fun things going on within the university as a whole. Our athletic department, you look at the different teams on our campus, everyone is starting to have more and more and more success. Um, Our basketball programs are doing great, and they're a really big driving force of our department. So there's really positive momentum from that perspective. And then within our soccer program, we've, over the last five years, every season, our winning percentage has increased each season. And so I think there's becoming more of a draw for the local players to say, hey, I can stay at home. I can represent my hometown division one athletic department and soccer program. And I can help them. What we just talked about be one of those first classes that starts to throw rings on fingers because we're winning championships. And, and I think there's a level of pride when you throw your hometown logo on your chest and you're saying, Hey, I'm representing Fort Wayne as a community. I think there's something really great about that. And so We're looking right now at a lot of the seniors, a lot of the juniors, and starting to watch a lot of the freshmen and sophomores here in the Fort Wayne community. And and I tell you, a lot of the high schools and a lot of the club programs are doing some really, really great things. So we're excited about keeping a lot of this talent here at home in Fort Wayne, and and hopefully we can continue to, to build strong relationships, not just with the club programs, but a lot of these high school coaches in the area as well. When we talk about Fort Wayne, Coach, we'll finish with this. You guys are going to be here after this road game coming up uh, beginning next week. You guys are going to be here for quite a while, as it turns out. Five out of six coming up at home. How advantageous is that, especially as you start conference play? Yeah, it's massive. We have, over the last couple of years, done really, really well at home. And to be able to start with four of those five conference games in particular at home, is going to be massive for us. And when you look at three of those five, one being on the road at Oakland, but then Milwaukee and Northern Kentucky right after that, those three teams have been the top three teams in the league over the last few years. And to get two of those three games at home and then the two prior to that with IUPUI and Robert Morris, you know, if we can walk away with a couple of strong results, three or four wins in those five games, we're going to be putting ourselves in a a really fantastic position to, to earn that birth back into the Horizon League tournament. So it's going to be a vital stretch for us. It's going to be one that's really, really important. So hopefully we can draw a lot of the local community in for those games. We are going to have a couple of um, different fun little things that we try to do at those games. We've got a Hawaiian-themed game that we're going to try to put on here in the near future. So be checking the social media um, outlets for for that type of environment. Um, We've got some other things that we're going to be doing. So Definitely, if you're here in the Fort Wayne community, come out to the games, keep up with our social media. That's where we advertise all the different things that we're doing at these games. And, and the bigger the crowd, it's good, the better it's going to be for, for our players and our team. So, um, yeah, we, we hope we see some really big crowds and hope we get to get more of the Fort Wayne community behind us here and, and uh, get this momentum and, and keep riding it moving forward. Absolutely, indeed. Purdue-Fort Wayne will return home. That will be Sunday, September 11th for a game against Southern Indiana. Then they will open up against IUPUI, open up the Horizon League, that is. It's part of a five-match, five-home match out of six stretch that the Mastodons will have coming up. Head coach Jason Burr, thank you so much for your time, and we wish you guys good luck as you get set to start the main stretch of the season, beginning with the Horizon League. Thanks again, coach. 
Thank you guys so much. I appreciate your time, and go Dons, and look forward to seeing you guys here in Fort Wayne. Absolutely. We look forward to having you on again sometime soon. Thanks, Coach. Thank you very much. Have a great day. John, it's time. It's time for us to go around the region, right? Where we actually have a little bit of positive news for a change to break down as we actually have some good results from the local teams. Well, at least a couple of them anyway. We start in the NWSL, the National Women's Soccer League. The Chicago Red Stars are still hanging on to a playoff position. But boy, did they help their cause as they ended a recent skid of poor results but taking a nice little stroll to convincing win town, as we like to call it, 4-0. They knocked off Louisville uh, on the road. Always good when you can go on the road, obviously, and keep a clean sheet and, quite frankly, demolish your opponent. 4-0, the Red Stars were very, very convincing there. And the win is important not just because of what it does for their momentum, as they snapped a run of recently poor results, but now... They are still in that last playoff position in the NWSL. They currently are holding off Angel City, but they have, crucially, Chicago is, have played one more match than Angel City, who they were beaten by a couple weeks ago. But Angel City's going to have a tough game. As a matter of fact, I don't know if you saw this, John, but they're going to be playing in front of a sellout crowd uh, at San Diego of about 32,000 here in a couple weeks. So that is very, very cool to see. And I can't wait to see that game. I believe it's going to be later in the month, but I'd have to double check the exact date there. Saw that on Instagram last night. Big ups to them out there in San Diego. And it looks like it's going to be a great environment. And if they, if San Diego that is wins, that is a big, big plus. Big gust of wind in the sails of Chicago as the Red Stars hope to clinch a playoff spot and they are right in the fight for it. This it was huge, obviously, for them to recover form. Now they have to go and have a tough game. It will be uh, Friday, actually uh, tonight, upon the time of recording here. Uh, and hopefully for those that will hear this at a later time, can go back and check, obviously, the match. And we'll also talk a little bit about it next week here on the show. They will take on O.L. Reign, Megan Rapinoe's team, as she scored a late goal to help them get a win in Orlando uh, a few nights ago. That's going to be a very tough game. If Chicago can get a good result from that, then they are going to be in a great position to perhaps work their way even further up the table. Right now, they are again in that last playoff spot, so this is a huge match for them. The other team in Chicago, the Chicago Fire. A little bit of a different story. They did get a really positive result all things considered, midweek against the New England Revolution, but was it too little too late? As they were beaten at the weekend by Montreal 2-0. So now, they're still, it, it's, it's a logjam, really. It's so weird. It's this massive logjam that is there in the Eastern Conference of Major League Soccer. And the fire are part of it. But they're second to last in the conference. And yet, they are only just a couple games out of that last playoff spot. They've been struggling of late. But was a scoreless draw enough to stop the bleeding and turn it around here? They need to finish strong if they are to have any chance. The draw kept Chicago in the conversation. I'm reluctant to say that a loss would have eliminated them, but a loss probably would have eliminated them. Or it would have... Maybe had the fire front office saying, okay, what's next year looking like, fellas? Maybe not out loud, but at least in the internal conversations, thinking about the road ahead. That's probably what would have happened if they would have been beaten by the New England Revolution, but they at least held surf for the always exciting scoreless draw. Never exactly what neutral fans want to see, but... For Chicago, they've at least kept themselves in the conversation. The draw, meanwhile, for New England was damaging. That moved them all the way out of the playoff spots, and now they're still very much in in, in the hunt as well. Just a, in a better position overall than Chicago is, but it just goes to show with how crazy that this conference has been this season, one or two dropped points is going to make a difference. I mean... 
the difference for, for a team getting in is going to be when you've had a draw there and then you concede a late goal. Instead of getting a point, you're getting nothing. When you've played better and you've deserved to get all three points and you only get one, that's going to make the difference this year, ladies and gentlemen. At least that's the way it seems right now. But right now for the fire, as they look ahead, they are going to need to get a result at Columbus this weekend. Columbus is also in the playoff places. We talked about how they had some tough matches coming up against Montreal, against New England, against Columbus. Well, they're going to pass right through Indiana, and they're going to go to Columbus, Ohio, who it's definitely an interesting place to be, a fun place to be, I've been told, on fall weekends. Uh, definitely going to be interesting this weekend when they welcome in the Fighting Irish from South Bend to town uh, for the other kind of footy. But for Chicago, which is sort of ironic because it's two teams from the Chicagoland area going to Columbus. That's interesting how that works out. And while I don't think that the team from the Indiana side of the border in the Chicago area will win in Columbus this weekend, I can't honestly suspect that the fire will win. But if they can at least get a point and maybe favorable results elsewhere, they will still be in the hunt. They will still be in the playoff conversation. Three points is desirable, and we're getting too close to a point where maybe that's almost even required. But I don't think it's a must-win just yet. Now, what is a must-win is when that handsome man himself, David Beckham, yes, he's stylish hair, and he's, he's got it all. He's, he's the owner of Inter-Miami now. They come to Chicago Next Saturday, that's a match the Fire have to win. That's three points that they need to get. And trust me, I would never disrespect Bex, as they call him over there in England. Uh, Bendit like Beckham, legend, would never disrespect him. But they got to get three points off of his club. They've got to get three points there at home. Where will they be playing? Hey, your guess is just as good as mine because... What will the Soldier Field turf look like tomorrow, as we've discussed on the show? Your guess is just as good as mine. Will it be playable? Your guess is just as good as mine. But they will play somewhere in Chicagoland, and they've got to get three points. They've got to take four points from their next two games minimum if they're going to have a shot. It's crunch time. They need results. They need to then obviously hope that teams in front of them slip up, but take care of your own business first. That's what Chicago Fire has to do. We'll see if they can get it done. We'll see what next week has, has to offer on this show, as it's been a bit of a roller coaster with them. But maybe they're back on that uphill climb, as we've talked about roller coasters quite a bit today. Maybe we'll even have a little bit more. Who knows? Well, Indy 11, their roller coaster, I mean, John, I don't know about you, but in a weird way, obviously, the fun part of a roller coaster is that first massive drop. If we're using that as an analogy for a sports team or really just about anything else, the drop is not the fun part. <laughs> and for four, for Indy 11, excuse me, it's felt like a perpetual drop. That is until just these last two matches. We talked, uh, I believe it was on the last episode. They had to, they had to go out and get two results. Well, this time they got a desperately needed win. As they won, as they went two to one over Louisville City, Louisville took it twice on the chin in this segment. That's that doesn't bode too well for the for soccer, and that's a great soccer market though, one of the burgeoning soccer areas in this country. Two to one, Indianapolis wins, and they keep the faint hope of postseason qualification alive. And I do mean faint. There are actually only two places in the standings away from that last playoff spot as a matter of fact there's only one team that separates them from the last playoff berth but they are still 14 points back that is going to be a significant challenge to overcome almost to the point where honestly if they were somehow getting the playoffs you'd probably tip them to go far because they'd be playing that well that's how herculean this task is for for nd 11 14 points to overcome and just not much time to do it but they got the win that they needed, but they have to play better on the road. They have been abysmal on the road all season long. They got to play better. 
They haven't really protected home field all that well, but they got to play better on the road, especially coming into these last couple games. They'll need to win. They'll need to hope for help. So that's what things look like around the region. And hey, obviously next week and maybe even after that, maybe we'll include a little more of the Ohio teams, such as FC Cincinnati, Columbus Crew. We'll have to talk about Columbus Crew next week because we'll be looking ahead a little bit further. Or actually, we'll be looking back at their game against Chicago. But John, I quizzed you early in the show, right? I Maybe you have the answer yet. The movie Deadpool. Philadelphia, specifically the show It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, FX, and Wales, which for those that don't know, is one of the four countries, along with Northern Ireland, England, and Scotland, that comprise the United Kingdom. They compete separately in FIFA. They compete together at the Olympics. But Wales, Deadpool, Philadelphia, FX, what do they have in common? Does it have to do with Ryan Reynolds buying a Wales soccer club? John Graham, you cheated. You must have cheated, but ding, 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 ding. Yes, indeed. Him and Rob McElhenney, I I think it's how you pronounce it. Him and Rob have bought Wrexham, right? That that just sounds like a WWE thing, the name Wrexham. That, That sounds like they're like... Undertaker and John Cena compete this Sunday on pay-per-view at, at Wrexham. Oh, like, that is such a great name. But they are actually the third oldest soccer club in the world remaining. They're not a big team. They play in the English Pyramid. And they were bought by Rob and Ryan. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, Ryan Reynolds is a soccer owner now. They just bought them not too long ago. And they are making them almost a brand in soccer. And they have the backing of their television audience, right? And, and, and their, their contacts with that. FX is going to launch a show. As a matter of fact, I believe the first episode is already out. It's called Welcome to Wrexham, which has to be the most ironic name because if you ask most Americans where Wrexham is, then ask them where Wales is, and let's start. Let's start with where Wales is, ladies and gentlemen. It's 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 attached. It's like sidecar to England. I think it's more south w- southwest side. See, w- welcome to Wrexham. Welcome me to Wrexham. FX. Welcome to Wrexham. They are buying. They bought a soccer team, right? So that had me thinking. What does it take to buy? A soccer team. Well, so let's let's first break down what they had to do. Okay, so they had to pay a pretty measly sum of two million British pounds. Which I did the math all in my head. I didn't use Google. I didn't use a calculator. I just know what British currency equals out to the U.S. dollar. John, trust me on that one. Don't even don't even ask any any further questions on two point three million U.S. dollars, which especially for 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 guys like that. It's probably pocket change. I mean, they, they, they probably had that sitting around. They paid a pretty measly sum, right, to get that. They, they play in the fifth division of England. So I want to say it's top three. I believe it's top three. If they, if they finish in a certain place, they can go up to the fourth tier, which officially then becomes league football in England, or they call it League Two. They finish in the top couple places there. They go to League One, top couple places there. They go to to the English Championship, and then after that, if they get promoted again, the Premier League, and we could see them on NBC one day and maybe competing against Ted Lasso. Who knows? That Wouldn't that be something? Now, there's a narrative, and maybe this would even be something to talk about here on the show. Well, actually, it's a good idea, John. We are going to talk about it. American influence. We talked about it last week. We're going to talk about it a different way this week. But first, here's what you have to do, right? Because, John, I know you've got at least $2 million sitting around. Don't, don't even try to fool me otherwise. You've got at least $2 million. Okay. Here's what you have to do to own a soccer team. Do you want an MLS team? Okay. That will cost you somewhere between $10 million and $50 million. It's... It's light work, right, ladies and gentlemen? I mean, you got, you got that money you can just throw out there only about 10 to 50 million for an MLS team 
for the Premier League? A little bit more. As I flip the page to tell you, it's almost like a cinematic reveal here of what exactly it's going to cost. 960 million British pounds, John. It would cost for the the average value of a Premier League team is 1.1 billion US dollars. Now, John, I'd imagine you have that sitting around somewhere, or maybe you have the key to Fort Knox. You can cough that up and you can buy a team like like Southampton, for example, who aren't very good, but you just you got it sitting around there and you can probably even make a decent profit off of them. I mean, I'd have to think. Maybe I could, uh, um, uh, maybe I, maybe I could, I don't know, maybe I could collaborate with, uh, Ted Lasso and, and buy one. Jason Sudeikis must have, must have that money somewhere. He's got it. He's got it. Like, I mean, we're the Millers. Yeah. Ted Lasso, you know, Jason Sudeikis is rolling in the dough. Or I'll tell you what, get him, and then you may need a third partner. Make a call to somebody within the Los Angeles Lakers' PR department and ask if one certain number 23, Mr. James, is sitting around. He owns Liverpool. He owns part of Liverpool, LeBron James does. And I, I looked it up. I don't have it in my notes here, but I looked it up when they are playing the Champions League final because he was there. He's made like $40 million off of his investment. Tell him to sell his stake in Liverpool. Take that money, buy somebody else, and you're part of an ownership group. And it's just everybody kind of splits the cost. It doesn't hurt anybody. That would be another way to go. But that's just a little bit of what it costs. So even if you pay that money, though, there's another drawback here. The road is not paved in gold. Your house might be. Your couch might be. But the road outside of the one in front of your house, which would probably be in some sort of private gated off community is not paved in gold. Soccer owners have a very, very short leash with their supporters. It, it's, it's not a case where they can be fired, but they can lose public support and they often do very quickly. So here's the drawback. Owners come and go more than they do really in other sports. Obviously, there's one or two American teams that would love to see their owners walk away. But in soccer, that actually happens more than you might think. Not a whole lot, but more than what you might think. So you have to have a plan. It's not enough to just say, oh, we got the money, we bought the team, it's ours now. Yeah, I have a plan to win to keep people in those seats, to keep people invested. Otherwise, they're going to turn on you really, really quick. But here's the thing. There's more of an American connection than you might think. John, I did the math. I did the counting. I did the research. There are 20 Premier League clubs. Six of them have an, have an American majority owner. Six different clubs. Their main investor, their main owner, is an American. Including Chelsea. There was a situation a few months ago where Roman Abramovich, who was, the, who was from Russia initially, was forced to sell the team. He sells it to Todd Bowley, of, who owns the Los Angeles Dodgers. And there's several other teams who are already owned by Americans. And I, I'm not even you know, counting LeBron when we talk about that. He's the part owner of a team that's owned by the Fenway Sports Group, which I, I have to say that's a little bit ironic considering they own the Red Sox, some of the battles he's had with the Celtics over the years and some of the the fact that he plays for the Lakers. Now, a little bit ironic there, but they're owned by the Fenway Sports Group a group of American investors, and they're one of six clubs. So, John, here we go. It's it's me, it's you, it's Jason Sudeikis, it's whoever else we can get in on it. We're we're gonna each we're gonna cough up the money somehow. We're gonna pull it all together, and we're gonna buy a team somehow, some way. We're gonna try to make that happen. Of course, I kid on that part. If only, but that I just thought was just a little bit intriguing. Again. FX, welcome to Wrexham. And I'm very intrigued to see what Mr. Reynolds and Mr. McElhaney can do. I mean, I I, I don't know. I guess, I, I mean, I never really looked at, at Ryan Reynolds as, as a sports guy. I mean, I mean I, I'm not a huge movie buff, so I, I don't 
follow a lot of that, but I, I guess I never really thought of him like that. But apparently he is big into sports and Rob is as well. We'll see what the road ahead looks like for them. But John, I think that's pretty cool. Absolutely. And you know, if I did have the money, um, Different sport, but I would definitely go in with uh, Mike Nutter uh, to see if I could invest in the tin caps. Now, that is something to do. And ultimately, of course, the objective of the podcast here, one of our things we like to do is focus on local. Support your local teams, ladies and gentlemen. They need your support. It's it's like we talk about small businesses. When do they need your support? The answer is yes, because they don't have as much funding. They don't have all the TV deals that big league teams do. They don't have as many investors. They need your support. They need you down there. Obviously, here in Fort Wayne, like everywhere else, it's transitioning. Baseball season's coming to an end. We're transitioning now more into the fall sports, but support the local teams. Support your athletes. Support the schools. Support the the local minor league teams. They play a brand of sports that values the fan and makes the fan involved. And so I'll say, John, there's our idea right there. We're... We are going to support our local teams tooth and nail. To the very end. Indeed, indeed. Speaking of end, I think that's a good place to leave it. I think that's a good place to say that we've covered a lot of ground today. So we're going to spend the next week thinking of what other ground we can cover. And then we're going to come back again and do it again for episode four. But for episode three of the Just for Kicks podcast, John Graham, thank you again so much for all the wizardry, all the magic over here on the technical side. And thank you to our listeners who have supported this podcast since day one and bigger and better things are coming. We are so excited for what the future lies and what lies ahead in the future rather. And for those who maybe did not uh, catch either the first two episodes, we are now live on 1380thefan.com or at least the the web the podcast has been launched up there. Whatever podcast platform you would like to, to use and Uh, to hear our podcast you can go to 1380thefan.com start there and then you can listen to all of the episodes you want you can one two three three two one whatever you want uh we just appreciate you guys tuning in and i can never say that enough this is not it's not my podcast not our podcast it's our podcast for everyone so thank you guys so much always appreciate the support and we can keep working hard for you guys so Uh, In the meantime, we will see you on episode four for John Graham, for Matthew Klingenberger. Thank you so much for your, for the pleasure of having you tune in. And we can't wait to talk to you again here shortly in episode four of the Just for Kicks podcast.